welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. This tape is produced in the spirit of Essays 12 Step to carry the message. Members of the fellowship should bear in mind Essays 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, TV, and films in the use of this tape. Anonymity to this respect is actually the practice of genuine humility. We assure that humility expressed by anonymity is the greatest safeguard that SA could ever have. And when we speak, we hold the mic about like this. <laughs> I'm Francis, a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, my main form of acting out is masturbation, <clears throat> cross-dressing, bestiality, a lot of fantasizing, and later on using uh, pain for erotic arousal. Uh, I first came into the program in 1989 and had over eight years sobriety and then I had a slip and uh, went to new levels of discovering of self and have kept working the program since. Um, dealing with successes and failures, for all that has been thanks, and of course when I saw success and failure, I immediately thought of uh, Kipling's poem, if, if you can meet those two success and failures and treat those two imposters just the same, um, I'm not there yet either. I, I could probably speak a lot longer on uh, the failures and have a difficult time recognizing any successes, both in just my life in general and certainly uh, in the program. I grew up on a family farm in, in rural Saskatchewan, uh, the youngest of a family of eight, and when I look back, I don't know that it was a very safe place in some ways uh, to even sort of talk about successes. If you did something well, uh, it was mostly, well, that's what you're supposed to do anyway. You know, a very sense of responsible living, do your work, get it done, and that's just the kind of way life was. But if you failed, uh, everybody seemed to notice it, and a lot of shaming came out. So you didn't want to fail, but you also really couldn't uh, sort of brag too much about being successful. And you just kind of learned to live a life of, just let me get through this thing. Um, maybe best practice practicing anonymity a lot earlier than I thought. <laughs> just go through this. But one thing I did notice was um, a place that I did enjoy was when I went to school. Because there, of maybe realizing it was a place where I could experience some successes, um, and I enjoyed school. It was a safe place to be. Uh, when I grew up, you know, it, it was hard to to then start to realize that I could do things. Most of my response was, "I can't do it." You know, ask for volunteers for something when you're in a, in a group gathering, and I'd never volunteer. And I thought, "I, ca- I can't do it." You know? And yet, when I'd see somebody else going ahead and getting it done. Sort of like the guy with the V8 ad. Well, I could have had a V8. I could have done that. You know. 
and always that looking back and saying, I could have, I could have, I could have, and why didn't I? And starting to build on that sense of saying, you know, why are you such a loser? Why don't you take the initiative? And getting off into fantasy of the hero and, and the successful person. Uh, the kind of movies I watched were those ones of the, the under, underdog person who, you know, succeeded and did very well. And I think, oh, yeah, great. And that would become my, my fantasy in that way. Um, in 1986, I was really at a, a deep point of struggling with the addiction. Um, it had really come to infect my life in many ways. Uh, very Lots of obsession with it. And just in, in talking with people, you know, I'd, my whole thoughts were simply always around uh, lustful thoughts, sexual innuendos, everything was just always there. And that's also when I read an article on sexual addiction. I identified with it right away. And that's probably when I felt my greatest failure. You know, like, I'm at this point in my life, I'd uh, just got in, I'd been in a profession that I wanted to be in for all my life. I'd been in it for four years, and I thought I'm going to lose it. Because I cannot live this way, this secret life of all my sexual acting out, all the things I was doing in my home, and then this very public profession, and saying, if they knew, you know, and just feeling like it's over. If I carry on like this, I'm going to lose my job, I'm going to lose family, I may lose my life. And it was just the emptiness, and I've done nothing at all worthwhile in my life at this point. It took me a couple of years after that before I got into SA and uh, found the group. I was really grateful right from the first meeting. I uh, felt at home, but this is the place I need. And then started working on, on the program. And I was grateful for the first sponsor I had because he was very enthusiastic about anybody that did anything in recovery. You know, he just thought this was the greatest adventure in life because there was so much positive stuff for him. And starting to see that and coming to conferences and, and seeing people had a real good life after recovery, you know. Um, but I remember going after one year in the, in the program, I went to, to a one day conference in Billings, uh, Montana and shared there my story. I said, you know, it's really a shame. That's one of the first times I get to give a talk in public. I can't tell anybody about it except, I mean, the people are here. Uh, my successes were starting to come in an area I really didn't want to acknowledge publicly. Um, but I think that's, that's what helped me to, to start to believe that I could do things, that successes could be real, and that I could learn to become grateful and gracious when people would say, you know, well done, uh, or that was good. And I'd say, I'd learn to say thank you. Although I've been taught to say thank you, uh, many times it was the thank you because you're supposed to say thank you. But learning from SA, um, I think the honesty in the meetings um, and, and coming to believe in myself that if I could get over this terrible acting out, if I could look at all the things I've done, all that issue of failure in my life and have people say, you know, you're not a failure, uh, it's a disease, I've made some really bad choices, but 
that's in the past, the promises, I'll not forget the past, and not shut the door on it, but I don't live in the past either. Starting to, to deal with them that way, and to just see that life had a whole bunch of opportunities. And some were very good, the successes. There's still going to be failures, but um, just seem to be grateful for the successes because it helped me to see uh, truly what I do have as gifts and talents. And I can no longer say I don't have gifts and talents, because I do. Um, and to learn from the failure experience, what I would put as a failure. Say, well, that's, it may look like it failed, but there's some learning opportunity there. I had this very recently, to struggle with this again in a real way, um, <clears throat> the past three years I've been in Weyburn have been a, a struggle for me, very emotional time, uh, depression and anxiety, and had <clears throat> turned back in some ways, uh, well, to my addictive self. I mean, the food addiction started to show up clearly, and the, the spending addiction, and and uh, sexual uh, behaviors, inappropriate behaviors, to say the least. So I met with my sponsor. I said, I'd like to do a step one on just these three years, you know, just to look at them. And so we met, and I'd written it out, and when I presented it to him, it was only about an, an hour or so to compress three years down into that. And I looked at it and I said, man, have I just been like in lust and for three years? And this felt like such a failure at that moment, having shared it. It was like sort of doing step one all over again. Um, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna cancel my trip to the conference here because it just felt so worthless such a loser in, in the program and in life and everything. That was my immediate reaction. But by the next day, you know, I start to see the gratitude again, coming to that experience to learn, say, okay, if that's some of the things that were happening, they were not wise choices, but that change of heart. Do I want to change? Is that why I did it? You know, and yeah, I took that step because I still want to change. I want to grow. I know there's so much more that I can do. Um, I think, but not think. I try not to use that word think and guess. I know, I know a lot more than I think. Um, for me, one of the greatest weekends of my life was the, the conference we held in Regina in, in 97. Uh, when I look back, I still don't know how that thing happened. But if I hadn't been in program, I would have never handled anything like that before. And one of my greatest failures had come about seven months before that, when I had my slip in 96. That hit me, and I just couldn't believe it happened. And I was starting to cancel the, everything, you know, just wipe myself out. I called a fellow in Nashville, and I said, you know, my ego probably got in the way, but I thought, well, now we'll have to cancel the Regina Conference. Francis lost his sobriety. <laughs> and he said, no, no, you just carry on. Like, so what did you learn from it? Uh, I was able to turn that around and say, and, and look at it and say, in a way, that failure of, of my slip was almost a necessary thing for me to have the success of the conference. Because it did get rid, it showed up my pride and my ego, and I could deal with them. And I went to the conference in a much, much better state of mind than if I hadn't. I mean, I, I wish I could have got around it without the slip, but taking those two incidents as the big things in my SA life, a slip which looked like total failure turned out to be 
a great growth moment to make the conference for me a great success time. And, you know, when people have said that we're there and said, it's a great conference, enjoyed it, I'm able to graciously say, well, thank you very much. You know, I really enjoyed it. It was great for me too. And in life, um, still have a lot of difficult times accepting uh, people's affirmations of things I do or who I might be. Uh, I still want to put it down because if somebody says that's what you are and I pick it up, um, this sort of comes to me responsibility then of saying, yeah, you know, I can do this and so maybe I uh, could do it. If I say I'm a failure, there's much less I'm going to expect of myself to do. So I've learned that a lot from, from the program. I'm grateful to the program um, because I've always received a lot of affirmation, a lot of seeing a lot of successes in it. I mean, the birthday party last night is for me always one of the great things of a conference to applaud our, our journeys and our, our successes and just a lot of positive things. So I'm grateful to be here this morning. Um, grateful to have this opportunity to serve and sharing a meeting. And we're going to open it now. The mic, we've got lots of cord here so we can go around the room if we want or we can go from person to person as, as they go back forward. Just remember to ask that you would uh, try to limit your talk to two to three minutes and to keep the mic uh, nice and close. Think about you're holding a mic and you're on tape and people are going to hear you. And this is a great way to share um, your gifts of recovery. So, who would like to go first? All right. My name is Paul, and I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Paul. And uh, I saw the topic, uh, failures and successes. Uh, and uh, when I came in, I heard uh, Francis speaking, and uh, and he and I were sharing a little bit yesterday about uh, uh, co- common, uh, you know, concerns and. Uh, uh, three years ago, I arrived in the current uh, assignment that I'm in and uh, set it out with great zeal and enthusiasm to uh, change the whole world and in the meantime forgot to change me, continue changing me. Um, I remember the uh, person who's my current uh, uh, sponsor for another addiction uh, um, talking to me about five years ago when I wanted to leave my last assignment and uh, and this person, uh, she said to me, <laughs> You know, no matter where you go, those people will still be there. I says, what do you mean? She says, well, you carry them around inside yourself. You know, there are people out there who will be similar triggers, and and so therefore, uh, you know, you're going to run into them. And uh, so you can't cure anything by moving. Uh, so uh, about two months ago, I, I this past year I'd been in major relapse from both my other addiction and and my sexaholism and and having recurring slips and struggles and uh and it was it's been a nightmare and my my work assignment was doubled um and uh in October I was asked to take on uh because of a la- uh, lack of personnel an extra uh two locations so now I was traveling between four locations and and uh, never knew wh- where to call my home, and uh, sometimes I'd pack a bag and bring it with me and sleep in another place, and it was just, you know, there was no stability. And uh, so my spiritual director in May kind of confronted me on, uh, uh, maybe your current location is not a good place for you to be. 
uh, maybe you need to move on. And it's like I've been fighting since February with that. I've been saying yes, no, yes, no. And then it's like I had kind of dismissed it because usually by February you have to let them know you want to be moved. And uh, so all of a sudden, May 19th, I come or 15th, I come to the conclusion that he's right and that I'm wrong and this is a failure. I failed. And, uh, you know, I feel terrible. But so I called uh, the powers that be and said, uh, guess what? Uh, I need to move. And they said, we think it might be a good idea after they after I spoke with people and told them what was going Because from February, they had heard from me three or four times about how desperate I was. And uh, so then it was this thing of coming to realize, uh, yeah, at one level, it's a failure. Uh, you know, I went in there with great dreams and aspirations, and when I took on the extra work in October, I thought I could handle it, but I should have recognized that since I was already in relapse at that time, there was no way in hell I could handle that because I couldn't even handle my life. And uh, and so uh, when I've met with my spiritual director twice since then to talk about the fact that I have accepted my and my my sponsors and everybody, you know, and, and that I've accepted this uh, this need to change and that I now on August 1st, I will be July 31st. I'll be saying goodbye to my current assignment and moving to my new one on August 1st. And he said, you know, don't look at it as a failure. You succeeded. You succeeded in acknowledging that you were powerless and that your life had become totally unmanageable and that in the current location you could not overcome even your, your addictive nature, uh, because, uh, you know, there was, first of all, not enough, no, you know, the, not a, the very few meetings around and I have to travel a lot, plenty of AA meetings and I, and I belong there too, but, uh, there, in a small town, uh, somebody in my position doesn't go and, and say, hi, my name is Paul and I'm an alcoholic and I also have a problem with sex because all of a sudden, you know, they're going to be hiding their kids from me and this and that. And I don't have any problem with kids. You know, people misunderstand when you say it if, if they don't know the nature of this disease. It can be that, but it's not always that, you know. And, and uh, so um, the stigma attached to it is still hard. So I need an SA meeting. I need my, if I talk about food at an AA meeting, they all kind of laugh and say, hey, at least it keeps you sober. You don't understand. Didn't you just hear what I said? You know, so this guy said, you know, that uh, my spiritual director, Yes, it may appear to be a failure on the surface, but he says there are so many guys in your position out there who are unwilling to admit that their life is a shambles and they are inflicting pain and injury on people left and right and because they don't want to admit failure. You know, they're afraid to say, hey, I can't handle the situation anymore. He says that's where you have succeeded. You've taken your step one in this, in this regard and said, I'm powerless. Now I have to remember. A geographic cures nothing. So even though I'm moving 31 miles away and getting a new assignment, an assignment that I'm more adaptable to, uh, something that I have done in the past successfully and enjoyed, uh, not all this administration stuff that I've had to do in the past four years, three years, um, i got to realize that i got to keep working this program because I will be a failure there too if I fail to work this program. Uh, but uh, um, the the path to success for me is to... Uh, realize that uh, when I move, the bastard, <laughs> excuse me, the, the, that, that I hate right now is going to be with me because, you know, he's inside of me. And all those people out there are merely triggers uh, that, that get that, get that creature going uh, in all these negative character defects. They are merely triggers, but I carry him around inside of me and I need to surrender him. Uh, I need to surrender me to the power of this program to transform. Thanks. I'm Doug, recovering sexaholic. 
Um, my sobriety date is uh, March 28th of 99. And uh, I saw a topic on this on this meeting. It's like, well, this is something I need uh, to hear about because uh, I have experience with both success and failure. And uh, you know, negative part of me wants to say no, just just the failure. But uh, I, I, in this program, I came in and I, here's I can calculate 91. I got a little over 15 months of sobriety. And uh, so I've got years of slipping and failure. Um, and there was a period where I had about 15 months in there. But usually it was like one month, one week, one day. That type of, of relapse pattern that was just eating me alive. That's all I knew. That's all I knew how to do. And uh, as years went by, I became more willing to do more things. And uh, as I would do more, I'd get more success. But then invariably at some point, I would say, no, I'm not going to do this. Or that looks too good. I'm going to go for it again. Uh, my my insane thinking tell tries to tell me here here's one of its scams that uh, it works on me. It's like well, and there might be some grain of truth in okay I've run ten thousand experiments on trying to use lust and none of them worked. Therefore, this is the only alternative is to recover, which I can't do. So I have to work the program, trust God, and or die. And uh, so it's those failures are helpful in that they are reminders that's never worked. My insane thinking t- wants to tell me, okay, you've had eight years of failure. Now you're less proof. Now, now you're going to be, you know, chairing, leading, you know, shaking Roy's hand and he'll be asking me for advice. <laughs> and, you know, um, that's, you know, that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Uh, I don't run from old-timers like I used to. I try and talk to them anytime I can. Uh, I'm not an old-timer. I'm a guy here who's had... So, I, I'm having the best sobriety I've ever had. I think you could call it recovery because it feels 100% different than uh, before. I know lust won't work for me. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, I know, too, that just this past week... You know, very real temptations. The urge to go and use was right there. It was do something or die. And I was able to do that. Um, so my, my failures helped me today with my success. But I can't, I can't rely on my failures, uh, to keep me sober. I have to work the program. All they are reminders of that my way doesn't work. Um, I like to think it's, not, I, I work God's plan. You know, this is God's plan. This is not my plan, and that's why it works, because mine always fail. So, I'm glad to be here. I'll pass. Name is Gordon, sexually. I go ahead. Two minutes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> My daddy died in 1960, and I lost my rudder. 
And I wound up in the strong room in the Marine Hospital and finally got to see the psychiatrist. He told me to find a good girl. I said, I'm not looking for a good girl. First he told me to leave town. I said, I quit leaving. He said, well, find a good girl. And you ain't going to find her in a beer joint. I said, I'm not looking for a good girl. She has to be bad or I won't have nothing to do with her. And he said, well, you better change your attitude. So I changed my attitude. <laughs> and I find a bad girl and make her good. And then when I shipped out, I didn't have nothing to worry about, you know. But anyway, all these here... Uh, that was my old way of thinking. Uh, it didn't work because God wasn't at the center. Then I got in the program in 83. My uh, brother in Seattle, he had cancer and couldn't swallow and uh, he blowed his brains out. And I went up there, come in from sea, and I went up to Seattle and I seen how it all brought the family closer together. And I get back down to Galveston, and I'm on cloud nine. And I'm riding my bicycle down that seawall early in the morning. And I hit something, and I don't know what it was, but I had a choice either going and hitting the front of the traffic or diving this trash container with the uh, beer cans and the rotten fish. And I chose the rotten fish, you know. And I got my head stuck in that mess, and I busted out laughing. I said, okay, God, what can I learn from this? I pulled myself out of there and I looked around and while I was gone they'd put a sign in the seawall there that I hit. I said, thank you God. Number one, there's no place to be meditating riding down the seawall. Number two, you better keep your eyes open and adjust to the change of life or you don't have long for this world. <laughs> and uh, then my, older, my oldest brother, he finally he died uh, he had uh, cancer of the blood and he lost his mind and I went to the funeral and uh, he was God all his life and uh, I told his two sons I said your daddy hasn't lived in vain if you can learn from his mistakes uh, and all these things uh, it built up where uh, everything is a uh, girl at the young people's conference says I got 30 days clean and sober and everything's beautiful and she said, if it isn't beautiful, there's a lesson to be learned. <laughs> and I reared up to see who was talking, and I thought, wait till your bubble breaks, baby. But the more I thought about that, that's life. If it isn't beautiful, there's a lesson to be learned. So uh, in Newark, the conference there, I got rear-ended. Uh, I didn't know where I was looking. I was lost. And I wasn't sure. I was looking for a road, and I couldn't see it. So I pulled into the Y and stopped there, and I got rear-ended. Well, what I learned from that is either lead, follow, or get out of the way. <laughs> uh, but everything, there is, there's a lesson with everything. And uh, I can learn from everybody else's mistakes also, not only my own. Uh, the last black eye I got, I was pedaling the bike uphill. And... Uh, Seeing how strong I was, and somebody's coming down, I didn't want to see me strain, so I made a U-turn and let it go down. And oh, I picked up speed, and, and it started to vibrate. And the next thing I know, <laughs> the bike found a hole and stayed there, and I kept going. And so my sister says, "Well, what'd you learn from that?" And I had to stop and listen. I found out when well, I understand what they said about the program. It's like riding a bicycle uphill; there is no coasting. And I also understood what my brother told me, that you don't turn the key off in the car going downhill because you, you have no control, just a little pebble 
will throw you off course. And so all these things uh, have helped me get the program and uh, make me stronger. Thank you. My name's John. I'm a recovering sexaholic. My sobriety date is June 11th, 1999. Um, as far as successes, the one thing that I'm learning is that in a particular situation that the only way I can be successful is surrender and to seek the guidance of my higher power in that particular situation. And then whatever the outcome is, whether it's what I want or what I don't want, that it almost always invariably turns out for the best. Uh, my name's Jim. I'm a sexaholic. I'm a bit nervous sharing. It's uh, my first time sharing in a group like this. Uh, I just wanted to say that to start with. Um, successes and failures, um, for me, um, I thought until I really hit bottom uh, about a year ago that uh, my life was a success. I seemed to have all of the things that I thought were important, and I realized um, uh, when I did hit bottom that I didn't have any of the things that were important. Um, what seemed like success was, was really failure. It was all just an empty shell. Um, and uh, I am um, really grateful that I uh, discovered this program and uh, can start um, having some uh, real uh, meaning in my life and uh, find out what... Uh, what uh, success really is meant to be and all of those external things that I chased after so much um, are, are in a lot more perspective now. I've discovered God, I've discovered this program and uh, and I'm really grateful to be here. My name is Phil, I'm a saxaholic. I guess all I really have to say is that um, I'm here and I can say that I'm a saxaholic and it's taken me, it took me eight years of AA sobriety to come to the point where I could get humble enough to go, you're right, I've got a problem with this addiction. I kept denying it and denying it and denying it since before AA sobriety. I told the therapist, oh, no, 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 that's not my problem. And uh, I told the AA people, no, 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 I don't have a problem with that. And I told the SA people, I don't have a problem like that. Yes, I do. I'm a sexaholic. That's the biggest success I have today is to to admit it, to deal with it, Um I had an experience Wednesday night that I've repeated twice that I just, I feel so blessed that I have to repeat it again. I was on my way to my Wednesday night regular SA meeting and I happened to drive by a certain location that I frequented in my addiction and saw a gentleman going in. And it was a gorgeous... I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.